this is Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I've been doing a series of webinars during the pandemic to learn something, meet new friends, and um, catch up with old ones. Today, my guest is Rebecca Housted, and she joined us last time for a really interesting webinar on um, technical large animal rescue. Um, and so she was generous enough to come back so that she can talk to us about trailer safety, which I think is a really important topic. The last thing you want to be in is a trailer accident. So preparation, I'm sure, is going to be a lot of what she's going to talk about today. Um, so welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us again. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's amazing. I, I, I just want to kind of, I'll have you introduce yourself in a minute, but I just want to tell a little story that one time when I was in New Zealand, um, and this is back in the 90s, um, we went to a horse show and they had single axle trailers. <laughs> and we, my friend and I were absolutely horrified at these trailers. They were pulling with sedans and some of them looked like they were made out of corrugated tin and, and all kinds of things. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it's it's a first of all it's just amazing what horses will get into i think is probably <laughs> that proves right there that they don't think the same way we do because if they did yeah. they'd say uh-uh i ain't getting in there that looks like a piece of crap that's just a tuna can <laughs> yeah so rebecca for people who don't know you just give us a little bit of your background so they understand where you're coming from in this lecture okay so i teach technical large animal emergency rescue to veterinarians and firefighters and basically anybody that'll hold still and listen uh, about horses that get trapped in all kinds of scenarios. So the mud rescues, the, the kinds of things you see on TV, um, trapped in overturned trailers, um, down in stalls, how to deal with all the situations of a thousand pound animal that's in something that's um, where he shouldn't be. And of course, a lot of those scenarios are because of the way we keep horses, um, whether it's right or wrong. And putting them into a trailer is one of those things that's just part of having horses. If you're moving them to the vet or you're taking them to a trail ride or you're going to show or event or race or whatever you're doing with horses. It's sort of a fundamental, to me, a skill that every single horse should know and should be comfortable with. But um, some of our choices in the horse industry, uh, I usually say that, you know, what 70 something percent. Oops, you just froze. Oh no, she really froze. You, you wait, wait, you froze. And we lost sound. There we go. Oh, we're back. Okay. Great. So what I usually say is that it's um, a bunch of us are hiding the expenses from the husband. <laughs> or maybe you're the husband hiding it from the wife that isn't really into horses. But um, that gets frustrating sometimes. So. so we missed a little bit of what you were saying there. What was the point of that? Um, you know, why do we end up with trailers that really aren't appropriate? Uh, to what we should be doing. Uh, we buy a $100,000 horse, but we bought, buy a $3,000 trailer. That, that doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Right. And part of what I want to talk about today is why it's so darn easy to make the wrong choice uh, when it comes to buying trailers. Because sometimes we think that throwing money at it will work, and that's not always true. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like saddles. You know, I, I've seen people spend $6,000 on a saddle, and it absolutely didn't fit. So... Right. Money isn't everything. And so often the bells and whistles are designed to please the people and not necessarily make it better for the animal. Yep, they spend a lot of time and effort on the living quarters and the painting on the outside and the little logos and those kind of things that make you feel good about it. But what I tell people is um, you gotta get out a piece of plywood or a tarp and crawl underneath that sucker 
And what you're going to find about trailers is the truth comes from looking underneath. And if the, in general, what we find is that if the frame and the structural components underneath the trailer are very good, then they've probably put a little bit more effort into the rest of the trailer. Um, but there's some fundamental uh, general sins that all of us participate in. So, okay. We'll so we're, we're, let's start. Where, where do we begin here? Okay. You want me to go ahead and share my screen? Yes. Please. Oh, wait, I got to make you co-host. Otherwise, okay. you can't do it. Do, do, do make co-host. Okay. We're good to go. Share screen. There we go. And you should be able to see it. Yep. Okay. Let me go ahead and make this full screen. All right, so a lot of this comes down to some of the things that we talked in that last uh, webinar is horse behavior and human behavior. So uh, the human behavior in this case for the trailer stuff comes down to what we're willing to spend and how much we know about maintenance on trailers and those kind of things. And a lot of people don't grow up thinking about, hey, I need to learn how to hitch my trailer correctly or uh, lube my uh, bearings on my, on my trailer. But we're going to talk about some of that. And then, of course, Horses do the kinds of things in trailers that sometimes makes it difficult. Um, the way the trailer's designed, the horse may end up going over something or putting his foot through something or putting his head through something that uh, makes it a little bit more difficult. So we'll talk about some of those, those kinds of things. Uh, I tried to keep some of the god-awful stuff out of this, but there is going to be some context and images that's sort of awful for some people, and I'm sorry about that. But I will tell you that what we found over the years of me doing this kind of training, uh, both in the military and with large animal rescue is that if you've seen it before, um, it won't be as shocking in real life when there's real blood and injuries and those kind of things. And you may be able to actually deal with it better. Um, and then, you know, you can always cry but later, um, but hopefully this will prepare you in some way. So trailer wrecks are, always uh, on-road incidents of some kind, even if it's, quote, off the road, you're going to involve 911 from the very beginning. So that's my first thing is if you are in anything like this, your horse, maybe you don't even roll the trailer. Maybe you don't even go off-road, but your horse flips upside down inside the trailer. Um, call 911. Get them involved because it's not the safety of the horses and, um, in the trailer that's first priority. It's your safety and anything on the side of the road is always a very dangerous place to be. And one of the first things I want everybody to buy is go to uh, Rural King or Tractor Supply or Lowe's or wherever you gotta go to get yourself a nice reflective vest and put it in your truck, mm. in your car. If you ever have to get out of your car for any reason, even if it's just to check on the horse because there's some weird sound behind you while you're driving, put that reflective vest on so that other people can see you because a lot of emergency responders and de Department of Transportation personnel get killed on the side of the road doing something innocent like checking a wheel. So um, these are some, some examples of the kinds of things that can happen. Um, part of what I say is that really we should be looking at the physics and the science of trailers and how trailers go down the road and uh, how we match the truck and the trailer together and look at the design and the management um, uh, daily maintenance. Sadly, most of the folks in our industry are not educated about trailers. And, you know, you think about the weight, Wendy. My trailer, my four-horse trailer with my horses in it and all the crap, you know, I'm a girl. I can put more crap in the living quarters than the weight of the horses in the back. Um, if you add all that up and go to actually weigh your trailer, which is another homework thing for you guys to do, go down and weigh your trailer, go to the truck stop. They've got um, trailer weight places 
and get a weight. And mine is 19,000 pounds. When it's loaded with horses and all my crap, it's 19,000 pounds behind a Dodge Dually 3,500 truck. So, um, you know, sometimes it scares people how much their truck and trailer actually weigh when you put those things on there. And if you're hauling ponies, maybe not so much a big deal, but if you've got draft horses or, I mean, these days, warm bloods are generally in the 12 to 1400 pound range. So it adds up really quickly. And that's the problem when you start um, buying a two horse trailer that's made for an Arabian and you put a big old warm blood into it. So, um, and again, cheap costs. So this is obviously not a cheap trailer and it's still burned um, because one of the, the bearings failed on the trailer due to maintenance problem and the fire starts um, in the trailer and moves forward in the in the trailer and in this case these folks didn't even realize it was on fire too too late because in the dark you can't see that your trailer's on fire so what? very very frustrating you, in the dark you can't see your trailers on fire you can't when it's just smoke at the smoke phase you can't do it and oh. time and time again some of these transport wrecks every single animal's already been dead by the time they realize it was on fire because there's smoke that's building inside the trailer um, there's shavings on the floor there's hay on the floor and uh, that's where the fire starts and it just smolders for a long time. It's an enclosed space. It's got um, very poor ventilation. And by the time they, they realize there's a problem and open the door, there's nothing to say. So uh, sadly, you can do some Googling for horse trailer wrecks uh, burn and you will find uh, sadly way too many transport um, examples. So part of what we talk about is, you know, what is the best for the horse in transportation? versus what's the best for the horse in an evacuation or a situation where, you know, the trailer is burning and you've got to evacuate him out of the trailer or in a wreck. Uh, and, and honestly, the way I would build a trailer if we knew we were going to wreck that sucker is a lot different than how we would build it under normal transport. This is a good example. These horses are happy. They've got their buddies. They can see. They've got a lot of ventilation. They've got a place to eat. They're, you know, they're, they look like they're perfectly happy going down the road. Um, but what happens to those same horses if you roll that sucker to the left or you roll it to the right and they're still tied to those, those um, rings, uh, it looks a lot different when they're able to put their feet through those, those bars and those kind of things. So that's some of the kinds of things that we're talking about. And I'm not saying that all trailers are bad. I'm just saying that you always have to weigh the good versus the bad. And that's where our challenges come in. Um, is there anybody here that can fit more than, than uh, four horses in a four horse trailer? This is a good example of fitting seven horses in a four-horse trailer. Of course, they're only this wide, Wendy, because it's from a from a uh, neglect situation where we had to go pick up some horses. But the point of this one is you never know what's in that trailer. You know, you look at a big trailer like that and you say, oh, that's a horse trailer. <laughs> Has anybody ever hauled something other? You know, I got real popular, Wendy, when I got a uh, truck and trailer as a young person. All of a sudden, everybody wanted to move their, their furniture <laughs> and everything else. So you don't really know what's in that trailer is the point of that, okay? And then, of course, biosecurity, which has really gotten a lot of, of uh, details this year, um, has been interesting. But this is my first chance to say that all of you should have, based on how many horses you got and how many trailers you got, you should have what we call a load plan. In other words, you should say, okay, these horses, they do real well in, in transport next to each other. Um, in the top example, Angel is my queen bee, and she is sort of a <clears throat> witchy girl, so she doesn't like anybody next to her, and she actually has a stallion divider between her and Porsche. Porsche always tries to mess with Angel, so, but she likes him, so there you go. You, how, how are you going to put these, depending on their weight, their height, how they travel in trailers, all those kinds of things. Um, I have two trailers, and I have six horses, so I have enough room for all that. 
if you've got a two horse trailer and six horses, that's three trips. So who goes first? Who's your most valuable horse? You know, if there's a wildfire coming, who are you taking out first? And that really comes down to making a load plan. And a lot of people have never actually thought about it that way. Um, but like right now, I'm sort of screwed because my two horse trailer, I'm replacing the floor on it. And I've been screwing around with it for a month um, because of some other issues with, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving and people visiting and everything in rain. So I'm still, you know, I got everything cut, ready to go back in, but I need to get a welder to move something. And anyway, you know, obviously right now I would have to come back for a second trip to get the rest of the horses. So that makes it a little bit challenging. So you got to think through those kind of things. And and we talked a little bit in the last presentation about some of the things that you might have for full evacuations, um, how you might do those kind of things. So that's my first chance to just say that part of this presentation is also to remember that this is about disaster planning and what can you do and what do you really need to have? And if you had to freaking pick up and move for three weeks, what would you need? And you'll find that it's a lot more than what you think. So I encourage everybody to work on that. And of course, you can always come back to this presentation and um, take a look at that. Or if you need this, I can, I can send it to you, Wendy, and you can send it out. Awesome. Okay, so what's best for the horse if you're going to roll the sucker? This is one I actually, <laughs> I was actually in a dress, which is hard to imagine for many people, and flip-flops. And I pulled up on this one, a live scene uh, on my way to the airport. And uh, when I pulled up, I got out, I handed the phone to my significant other at the time, said, get some pictures, and I walked over to see the incident commander, which was this poor little um, police officer standing on the side of the interstate going like this, like, what do I do? And made some suggestions, told him what I do, and he said, you want to be the incident commander? I said, hell no, you're the, inc <laughs> you're the incident commander, but I'll help you. And they were very fortunate. They had a whole bunch of horse people that had showed up on the scene. They had already engaged a veterinarian that lived close. She was on her way. By the time I got there, they had actually started sedating horses and pulling them off the trailer. They had one that was in the wrong place. He was right next to where this rip happened and he didn't survive the, the wreck, but they were able to get the rest out. And it was actually a pretty good scene, but Wendy, we were standing on the side of the interstate. It's a two lane interstate right there. And of course they've taken away one lane with the overturned trailer. And they've got 13 live horses sedated standing in the, next to the guardrail, and they're trying to load them on two horse trailers with traffic going by. I mean, this is the worst case scenario. I mean, absolutely worst case scenario. They were very fortunately, they, they had a veterinarian close. She did, she did a great job. But what would be about that trailer that makes it better for transport under emergency conditions? And I'll tell you, a lot of it comes down to what they had. A lot of room to be able to get into that trailer, uh, from the back, big doors, a lot of things out of the way um, that makes it a little bit easier for, for dealing with the, the actual wreck. So what we're gonna do is change gears a little bit, talk about homework and have you guys done your homework to make us safe. This is two horses that I actually picked up from a rescue um, case and I was delivering them to their new homes, nice and fat. They were skinny in the original picture. I loved it that they turned around and looked at me at the same way. But, um, you know, we ask horses, Wendy, to get in these trailers and they, if they trust us and that we've done our training, they step right in that trailer and they're perfectly happy. They have no idea if the floor is going to fail. They have no idea if you're going to hit the brakes hard. They have, they have no airbags. They have no seat belts. They have nothing um, like that to be able to keep them safe other than our skills as a driver and the maintenance that we've done correctly to keep them safe in the first place. And that, um, that's some t sadly some, some of the things that we failed to do. So when you take a look at your trailer, um, you know, walk around your trailer. I'm going to give you some resources that one of my colleagues up in um, 
Purdue has done, and it's a fantastic free resource that's online that I think every horse person should read, is you start looking at the, the stickers on the side of your trailer, you start looking at the numbers and the letters that are on your tires and counting nuts and looking at whether or not you've had your balls lubricated, which I'm trying to make it funny, but it's true. Um, it tells you a lot about your trailer. You know, um, what is the actual weight that you should be carrying? Uh, what is the size of the tires that you should have? What's the inflation pressures? What does the manufacturer recommend as far as those inflation pressures, those kinds of things? And it really is an eye-opening experience as you start learning your way about the anatomy of a horse trailer. We talk about the anatomy of a horse, but let's take a look at the anatomy of a horse trailer. So part of that comes down to homework, which, you know, Wendy, how many people learn to drive a trailer um, taught by someone with a commercial driver's license, like an 18-wheeler? Mm. Nobody. Nobody. I mean, <laughs> most people, if you ask them, they'll tell you, well, my dad taught me, my mom taught me, my grandpa taught me. Or I just hitched that sucker and took it out in the Kmart parking lot and drove it around a little bit. Or I just hitched that sucker and drove. And, and that makes me a little bit worried because I look at it and I go, hmm, I see people driving tra trailers on the interstate and I either back way off and make sure my dash cam's on so I can get it on video or I go around them because I don't want to be involved in the incident. So a lot of that comes down to you know, what do we understand about axles and bearings and what's actually on our trailers and our trucks? Uh, what kind of wheels do we have? Um, how I count nuts. I mean, people look at me funny, but that tr uh, um, picture on the left is my trailer with my eight nuts on the wheel, which means it's a 12,000 pound axle times two is 24,000 pounds. So my two axles can actually support 24,000 pounds. And I already told you mine's a 19,000 pound trailer when it's actually loaded. Um, it's well above the 10,000 pounds that, that DOT uh, supposedly uh, doesn't regulate under 10,000 pound trailers. Well, mine's way over 10,000 pounds and I haven't been regulated. I'm supposed to have a CDL. If you look at some of the rules from DOT and NHTSA and all those things, <sighs> suffice to say it's complicated. So tires and brakes, how you hitch. Um, we already talked about reflective and that previous lecture that we talked about. Um, how much air is in your tires? I don't know whether you know it or not, Wendy, but what's in your tires is not going to last forever. <laughs> be and neither are your tires either. <laughs> eternal air is in my tires, you know, and, and really, you know, it's not just the air in the tires. If you think about it, Wendy, take, just think about this as a thought experiment. If you have a, a big living quarters trailer and you have the four tires on your living quarters trailer, and then you have preferably two spares, but at least one spare. So that's four to six, to six, now six tires, okay? And then you have a dually pulling, my, my big trailer should be pulled by a dually. I don't care what brand, but a dually. It's another six tires plus my spare. So that's at least six plus seven that's on my thing. So that's 15 tires. And when was the last time you ever saw anybody pull up to one of those air things at the gas station, get out and actually check all 15 tires. In other words, both your spares you should have on your trailer, your spare on your truck, which is you gotta get under your truck and check it, all the inside duels, which are a pain in the butt to check, yeah. and all those things. So nobody does it, and, and that's what the problem is. Or, you know, my, um, what I do is I don't like to check the duels either. I can, but I don't like it. So what I do is I pay a guy to come to, to look at it. I just pull into his tire shop, I buy all my tires there. I've got a whole bunch of trucks and trailers. 
I always use him. And so he runs out and checks all my, my, my air for me. That's great as long as I'm at home. But what happens if I'm in, you know, 500 miles from home? So anyway, and then tools that you might need to change those kinds of things. Do you have those tools or do you have a service that's willing to come and do that? Um, services are great, but sometimes in the dark and the cold and the wet, you're going to be sitting there on the side of the interstate for a couple hours waiting for them to come get you. And then uh, obviously lubrication. I'm a big fan of lubrication. So there's a, I can't teach you everything about tires today uh, and I don't want to, but I will tell you that what I do want you guys to go do is on your tire, either on the outside or sometimes it's on the inside. So you have to crawl in and get a flashlight and look, there will be a four digit round oblong code, just like they've got on there. That tells you the week and the year the tire was made. That means that that tire at the top was made in the 26th week of 2016. The one in the example was made in the 26th week of 2013. And I find that when I talk to tire manufacturers, they will tell you that tires start to dry rot from the inside. So if you've already got them dry rotted on the outside, you can see any cracks and those kind of things. That means that that tire is really ready to fail. Manufacturers will tell you five years. You should be replacing your tires every five years. And Wendy, that doesn't matter if they've sat um, and only been used three times a year, or if you haul every single weekend. Um, most of the time, if you haul every single weekend, by now you've changed out your tires. But a lot of people sort of, you know, I don't use my trailer that long. They look pretty good. They come along and do the kick test, and that kick test is useless. It doesn't do anything. So go take a look at your tires, and I'll suggest that if they're five years or older, you should consider getting them changed or at least looked at by a tire person who knows a heck of a lot more than Rebecca does about tires. You know, go find that person. Yeah, well, that's just, you know, like my trailer sat, and I uh, have finally, long story short, gotten the truck. I can haul the trailer. Uh, I had it sent off to have, and they were, I, I was telling my husband, you know, I think all the tires need to be replaced. And he argued and it's like, they replaced all the tires. <laughs> exactly. So sometimes it's you have not, to stick up for your and gun. Then, and, and like tell this them. one, I don't know if you can see, but on the one right above where the tire iron is, it says, it says load range G. Oh yeah. The load range G are much higher quality tires. They're also a hell of a lot more expensive. They're like $189 a piece instead of, you know, 60 bucks a piece. But let me tell you, when I put those Goodyear load range G tires on my big trailer with the 19,000 pounds running around, all of a sudden I didn't have tire problems. And so I have, I have switched to the higher quality axles, the higher quality wheels and the higher quality um, tires. And it solved a lot of my problems over the years because there's nothing more frustrating or dangerous than having a tire blowout on the side of the freaking interstate and then you got to limp it to wherever and then usually you've destroyed the wheel at that point and it just it just ugh, nothing more frustrating so when we talked about learning the anatomy of the horse trailer what you really got to do is what i suggest you do is just flip it over on its side but <laughs> want to do that so <laughs> i do that with my trailer every once in a while for our training but um, you can also get a tarp or get a piece of plywood um, or put it on some nice uh, asphalt and get underneath your trailer, preferably with somebody that knows what they're looking at, and look at your, what's underneath your tra trailer. What, do you, what kind of axles do you have? What's the weight of the axle? What kind of, do you have a torsion um, axles or do you have the, the um, old type? Uh, I have the older type under my trailer. This is one of my trailers and it's in great shape. This is the one that I just replaced the floor because you can see even with this crappy picture that I was starting to have some um, 
you know, just places on the boards. They were, they were 14 years old and I check them all the time, but I finally decided I'm going to replace that. Um, you know, what does the, the steel look like underneath there? While I have the floor out, what I did was I absolutely repainted everything underneath my trailer and had somebody that knows metal take a look at the, the welds and all those kind of things to make sure you don't get the trailer, um, the floor out of your trailer very often. So when you do, right. make sure you, you do a full, full check and, and see what you do. What's the anatomy of your trailer look like? We talked about reflective before. This is the cheapest insurance. I know you guys are coming up on Christmas for your girlfriends. You're like, oh my God, what am I going to get? What kind of soap am I going to get them? Am I going to get them a basket? Eh, don't get that. Go buy them some really high quality reflective and put it on the back of their trailer. Now this one is my ex-husband and he's a little bit more anal than me. And he did the, what you're supposed to do, which is this uh, Chevron pattern that the fire department uses and all those kind of things. That's probably pretty excessive. That Chevron pattern is about $150 worth of reflective paint tape right there. But what I want you guys to focus on is the red and the white all the way around the trailer. And he also has it on the side so that if anybody, for some reason, your trailer lights and your brakes don't work, which happens to me um, at least once in a while, you know, you catch it on something or the little plug doesn't quite go in or it gets too wet or something, you have a short, um, you know, you want that reflective to work so that if somebody pulls up behind you, they, they don't slam into the back of you. There's lots of reasons for reflectivity. This is the resource, and I will send you an email also with this, Wendy, so you can share it to all your folks. But this is the resource that we have um, that, that um, one of my girlfriends did from Purdue. And it's free to, to, to download, and it's called Understanding the Horse Trailer Rig. And it's everything about how to match your truck your trailer, what's the difference between a gooseneck and a bumper pull, which is not really a bumper pull, it's a tag along, and how should I actually hitch that little red um, squiggly thing there on that uh, picture on the left, how should that actually be hatched? You will, if you start looking in the back of people's um, dualies, very rarely will you see another place to be able to attach that safety cable, Wendy. Yeah, I, I, they don't come with it. And right. so they expect, you know what happens? I find these things, the little emergency cable, is attached to where the chains are or it's attached to the hitch or it's attached to all the wrong places and it turns out that what happens is if you look at that little tiny black box where the red squirrely thing goes into that's a little plastic pen what's supposed to happen is after everything the hitch fails the chains break everything absolutely goes to crap under catastrophic conditions what should happen is there's a little plastic pen in there that should release and it should engage your trailer brakes and at that point, your trailer brakes lock down and bring your trailer to a stop. And I know that doesn't sound like fun because I'm sure that some of the folks that are listening to this live in mountainous terrain and they can think of some really bad situations where they wouldn't want the trailer coming disconnected from the trailer. But let me tell you, um, if everything goes to bad in a catastrophic collision, it's no longer about you and it's not about the horses anymore. It's about everybody else that's around you and your trailer by federal law is supposed to come to a stop. So... Anyway, that's just one example of some things um, that I'd really like you guys to understand. And if you download that and read it, at first it may seem like gobbledygook. Get somebody that actually understands trailers and uh, maybe at your maintenance um, for your tra trailers or trucks and, uh, and ask them, hey, what are they really talking about here? And what you'll find is you may find a lot of problems. And I will tell you that if you've got one of these, these look so cool. You know, this is a Ford of a girlfriend of mine's and it's trailer connected. I'm like, yay, no, that doesn't mean the trailers work. 
the, the brakes work, it doesn't mean that everything's connected correctly. It means that you've got the electrical connected. That's it. Okay. It doesn't mean that everything works. It doesn't mean that your backup plan works, all those kind of things. So don't trust some of these idiot lights that are supposed to save your life. And it doesn't always mean um, what you think it means. So let's talk about some of the best practices for transport. So to me, uh, Wendy, over the years, I'm assuming you have some uh, um, connection with Pony Club at some point or 4-H or you. something like that, okay? So many years ago, my, my ex-husband and I uh, approached some of those groups and said, hey, you guys should be doing some training for these kids on how to properly hitch your trailer uh, correctly and how to load your horses in trailers. And they said, eh, well, you know, the problem is there's too much legal implications. If something goes wrong, then we're responsible. So we can teach somebody how to wrap a leg and do all those kind of things, but we don't want to teach how people how to properly hitch and, and maintain their trailers. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. Well, they should be training the parents because most of the parents are the ones hauling the kids around. But right. yes. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not pointing fingers at those particular organizations. I'm just saying we should be doing training. And what happens is in the United States, you don't have to have any training anything to be able to hitch a trailer and pull it behind. And I don't care if it's a 19,000 pound dually um, pulling a 19,000 pound trailer like mine or a UT, uh, uh, something from U-Haul or what. All those trailers are being pulled by people who've never had any training. Yep. They don't really know how to hitch. They don't know how to do the maintenance. They've never taken a safety course, even an online course. And the guy at the U-Haul or the guy at the horse trailer sales place, he's gonna tell you whatever you wanna hear um, he's not going to tell you the things that you really need to hear. So um, training horses to load and be calm in trailers is a whole nother thing. And when I tell people that your horses should go in trailers, I'm doing it from the perspective of disaster. So, you know, somebody that's not you pulls up to your place and is trying to help you load horses so they can get them out of there because there's a wildfire coming. There's a hurricane coming. There's some other God awful disaster that is, has affected you and your horses should get in any trailer you point them at jump in be happy put their head down eat some hay and be like whatever most people's horses aren't and if you look at what happens out windy out west almost every year with the wildfires there's always horses that will not go in trailers especially strange trailers um for whatever reason and next thing you know people are leading them down the road we we really don't want you to do that take the time you know um People and I think you made the point. It's take the time. People don't take the time right. to actually just train the horse to be relaxed in the trailer. I, 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 um, I've always told my clients, you know, take your horses to the grocery store. It's <laughs> you know? true. I take my cat to the grocery store. Oh. My cat goes in my truck for the exact same reason as my horses. He gets in the truck. We take him somewhere. He gets a treat or he gets, uh, you know, petting and those kind of things on little short trips. And it's not always to the vet because if it's every single time yeah. he gets in the trailer, he goes to the vet, you can't blame them. They're not stupid. So same thing for horses, you know, take them somewhere fun, you know, um, take them to the grocery store, get them some carrots, make it fun. Um, having a relationship with your veterinarian. I talked a little bit about that in the last presentation. A relationship with your veterinarian means that when you have these issues that you can get a hold of your veterinarian and they are actually going to give you some advice. They're going to work with you because you have that, patient-client relationship with your veterinarian. Um, that's really important. A lot of people change farriers and veterinarians like they change their underwear, and I will submit to you that long-term you will run into problems if you continue to do that. Uh, prepare to break down with your trailer. That sounds, I know, very negative, 
but I'm, I found that Murphy is alive and well. So <laughs> if you have all the things that you need, uh, you have lubricants, you have a tire iron, you have a spare tire that's got air in it, you've got all those things, it's almost like Murphy will never touch you. But as soon as you fail to have those things with you, you will have a problem. Um, my husband and I have a check, check, and check again rule. Um, it means that whoever hitches the trailer, the other person checks. In other words, mm -hmm. I go through and I hitch the trailer, I load the horses, all the things, he comes around, he walks around, he looks at the tires, he looks at the electrical connection, he makes sure that the hitch is in there with the pin. Um, he may not actually check the floor when I'm driving out the door. Are the doors shut? Um, all those kinds of things, just so you have a second set of eyes on that. And then of course, um, it's never a bad idea. Every single time you stop to pee or get a cup of coffee or whatever, you should probably walk around again. And simple things like there are fancy um, little things that you can actually check the temperature on your tires from outside. But even if you put your hand on the tires, that's uh, better than nothing. And if there's one tire that's really different in heat than the other tires, that tells you you're starting to have a problem. And then, of course, we also train the fire department for road and transport emergencies. That's not you guys' bailiwick so much, but um, does the fire department in your area do anything as far as large animal rescues? Because it uh, sure would be nice to be able to call them if you've got a problem. So, first of all, if you talk to NHTSA or DOT or any of the other organizations that do uh, response to car wrecks, trailer wrecks, uh, anything else on the road, uh, fire departments, they will tell you it's not an accident, it's an incident. And the reason we call them incidents is because if you actually get an investigator involved in most of these situations, there's something that you can track it back to. Person was going too fast, failure to yield, somebody else wasn't paying attention, texting and driving and drinking a Coke and smoking a cigarette at the same time, um, talking on the phone, there really is a thing. Talking on the phone and texting and driving, those are just awful things. We see things in the fire department that are awful that way too. But what we found is, whether you call it an accident or an incident, if you properly hitch your trailer, it will stay hitched. And I've got catastrophic pictures of trains hitting trailers uh, where technically it stayed hitched. Now that doesn't mean that it didn't remove the entire back of the entire truck out of the truck, but technically the ball was on the, the ball was actually had the coupler on it, which is what we considered hitched. If you look at this picture, there's only one thing that is incorrect in this picture. And that is the little squiggly safety cable is wrapped around the hitch because the people didn't know what to do with it. They don't understand what the function of that little black box is. And they don't understand that the cable has to be connected to the frame of the towing vehicle to be able to engage that under duress. Everything else is technically correct. They've got cables instead of chains, which is not bad. Um, they have several layers of pins and uh, things that have the chance to be um, wrong here, but they actually have that hitched correctly. So hitch it right and it'll stay hitched, but you always, you know, with any mechanical system, you always have to check and make sure it stays hitched. So for example, this one, it's a single car accident and it's technically still hitched. Now I'm sure that horse that came out the window there slid forward, um, wishes that you had not put a three horse uh, trailer behind this little tiny truck. This is, my husband calls them towing tundras or towing whatever else those other trucks are about the same size. Um, a small 150 Tundra, those kind of things are never enough truck to be able to pull a three horse trailer. And me, I've bitched at the manufacturer, can I say that word? I have complained to the manufacturers of horse trailers and the National 
Trailer uh, Manufacturing Association about why are we building trailers that are tag-along capabilities with three horses? Because if you look at most of the weights of these trailers, there's no way that anything smaller than a dually should ever be hauling these things. And that's why we have these single incidents because it's way too much weight behind this small truck. And if you apply a little bit of brakes and you start to have a little fishtail, even under you know, good conditions like a sunny day, you still have a single vehicle wreck. So, but I still consider that hitched. There's some other resources out there that I'll also send you. This is one, keeping the trailer connected to the truck. Um, it covers all kinds of trailers, including boat trailers and toy trailers and those kind of things, but I find it fantastic. And I'll send that to you as well, Wendy. Great. So what I want you guys to think about is walk out to your trailer, open the back doors and take a picture and then come back in the house, print that picture out on an eight and a half piece of, of paper. Okay. And then turn that piece of paper to the left, to the right, and even on its back to see what your trailer would look like if you flipped it to the left, to the right, or it flipped all the way over onto its roof, what would your trailer look like? And what you'll usually find is something like this. This is a nice big trailer. It's got plenty of egress um, to be able to get out, except for one thing. It doesn't have a removable tack room. Right. So you're actually gonna have to have a fire department come in there and use a reciprocating saw, which you can imagine how much the horses would love to hear that, to remove not only the, the doors, which are not gonna function as, they don't, they're not made to be a ramp. So you have to remove those, and then you're gonna have to remove that quote, saddle area or tack room in the back, because right now you've got a three foot obstacle that the horses um, can't step over or jump over. So, that's why I encourage people, you know, look and think what it would look like. If you tie your horses in the trailer, which there's lots of reasons to do it and there's lots of reasons not to do it, totally depends upon the horses and the way you haul and how long you're hauling and all those kinds of things and training and whether or not you got a butt head that wants to try to eat somebody else up or whatever. But if you do tie them, what you should do is you should have something in the system that breaks and it can be something cheap like a piece of hay string up at the trailer wall that you attach your lead rope to so that when that breaks, at least you have a halter and a short lead rope on the horse, um, but something breakable in the system. Otherwise, what breaks is a lot of people, Wendy, don't realize that the bungees, first of all, just cut them in pieces, okay? Those things are crap and they, yeah. are, they are an excuse for poor horsemanship, but um, the other kinds of trailer ties are 4,000 pound webbing. So you can hang a draft horse on those from your trailer, and you will. So if anything goes wrong and you don't have something breakable in the system, you'll break his neck or you'll break something in his body instead of that 4,000 pound webbing. And the webbing that is on most horse, horse halters is also 4,000 pound webbing. Fortunately, you usually have some cheap piece of Pakistani metal that's in the system that usually breaks on your halter. But the webbing never breaks and it doesn't tear and it's not easy to cut. So, um, and then people say, well, I'm going to use a breakable halter. And I go, well, yeah, but if in the trailer wreck, if the halter breaks, now you got a horse loose in the trailer on the side of the road, we'd really like him to have his halter on because that sure would make it easier for a firefighter that's never caught a horse before to try to hold onto a horse on the side of the road. So, anyway, so uh, and bailing twine actually, you know, if you, if you get, Good bailing twine, that's not going to break so easily either, right? It does so, not break so easily. So I really what like do you use? String. 
string. There's actually a little product called an equine ping. It uh, looks like a little C. It's made out of plastic. And you can set the actual amount of release that it has on it. Um, it's made for training horses to stand tied, um, but it's also useful in trailer wrecks um, because it's reusable. Ping, and it's called equine ping. Yep. Okay. Yep, that's another thing to take a look at. So, towing vehicle. And of course, I could talk for days about this kind of stuff. But if you got a trailer that big and you got a truck that small, you are wrong, wrong, wrong. Okay. Um, it really comes down to there's some difficult calculus about what size trailer you can attach to what size vehicle. But in general, Rebecca's rules are if you're driving an SUV and pulling a trailer, it's not big enough. You need a truck and you need a big truck to be able to deal with catastrophic conditions. You may be able to slow it down under normal conditions, but the day that you go up towards uh, the Appalachian Mountains or up towards the Rockies, and then you turn around and start coming down, you're gonna find that going up and going down, you're gonna have all kinds of problems. So um, get a sufficient size towing vehicle. And sometimes that means you just gotta get a truck. So one of the things that I wanna kill right now is this whole idea that you know, you often hear horse people say, my horse wiggled in the trailer and it caused my trailer to jackknife. No, you know, I have had very injured or sick horses that I've been transporting to veterinarians for people that literally are, Wendy, you know, it's awful. They're colicking and they're slamming themselves to the ground inside my trailer. Yeah. Um, it, it's awful. And when they get to the, the, the veterinarians, often they're, they're dripping and sweating, all those kind of things. But if a horse is throwing itself to the floor in my trailer and it doesn't even wiggle, then that means I have a big enough truck to be able to deal with that. It's this whole thing of, of side to side vibrations does not cause movement if you have a big enough trailer and a big enough truck. So um, usually the scrambling is due to the opposite problem. You have too large a horse in too small a space. What they want to try to do instead of, you know, we think of horses standing straight. What they don't do, they, they try to stand base wide. You do the same thing. If I put you in a horse trailer and drove across the pasture or down the road and made some curves and made you have your hands behind your back, this is a great thing I do with kids all the time. <laughs> put them in a trailer. Technically, it's illegal to do, but, you know, it's a great thing to do with them, um, especially teenagers that know everything. Put them yeah. in a trailer and do this. Put their hands behind their back and make them stand in the middle and they're not allowed to lean against the sides. And then drive carefully down the road and what they'll find is you start base widening, bringing your legs further apart to be able to support yourself. And then of course we also, what you wanna do is lean against the wall, which is what horses do, or they lean against the back and they, you know, they rub their tails and they do those kind of things. But often that's due to they don't have enough room in the trailer. Let me see if this video will run. It's a little bit. Can you hear it? Yep. We're going about four miles okay. I got torque and onyx in here. Just checking to make sure that the ventilation works nice. There's not too many ridiculous sounds. See how a base wide torque is in the trailer? That's a nice big trailer. There's plenty of room. He's not worried. He's biting his friend. Yeah. Oh, he's biting the hay net. Okay. Yes, of course. He's starving to death. But the point being that I put my horses in my friend's trailer and then I videotaped it going down a gravel road. What I'm listening for is, is their chains bumping 
is their squeaks that, you know, our hearing is not nearly as good as a horse. Some mm -hmm. people say, well, my horse doesn't go in a trailer. And I go, well, I wouldn't get in your trailer either because there's chains rattling and there's these high pitched squeaks and you haven't done any maintenance on your trailer. So there's all these problems. And they go, oh, and I, I have one horse. He goes in any trailer that you point him at. His name's Tornado. And I use him as the test. He will go in anybody's trailer because he, he knows that most people leave hay or grain in their trailers. So he will go in anybody's trailer. And I took him to a girlfriend's house. She had a horse that used to load like that. All of a sudden, the horse wouldn't load. So I brought him over. Second, see Tornado will go in there. Tornado's like Mikey. He'll do anything. He started to go in and he loaded right out. And I said, there's got to be a problem. It's got to be electrical or something. There's got, sure enough, she had a short in that trailer. Horses are sensitive enough through their shoes. They can feel those electrical fields. She got the short fixed. Her horse jumped right back on the trailer like no big yeah. deal. So sometimes it's something subtle that you may have to do a little research to see what's actually going on. Um, thinking about, you know, my horse won't go in this little teeny tiny trailer. Well, get him in a bigger trailer. Will he go in a bigger trailer? Um, get him get him confident with going in bigger trailers and then start stepping it down but generally your horse needs to have enough room to be able to use his angular momentum of his head and neck he uses his head and neck to balance himself he needs to be able to pick his head up and balance himself to set himself down I see horses that are very tall like these 18 hand warm bloods and stuff going in these horse trailers that should be for a 16 pound 16 hand horse and they sort of step in and they sort of duck their heads and I'm like, man, that horse is going to heaven because he's, he should not be in that trailer. Um, so you got to compensate for that. Have the extra high, extra wide if you've got these extra big horses that, that need to have that room inside those trailers. And then, of course, don't always make it about getting on the, on the road. You know, feed your horses in these trailers. Let them go in there and get a treat. Stand there for 15 minutes and then take them off. Start teaching your young horses. I've got a girlfriend of mine. Uh, she's got a, a foal. And we started taking her trail riding uh, when she was three days old. And so that means she's getting on the trailer with mama. Mama goes on the trailer easy. Baby goes on the trailer with mama. Now she's about six months old and getting weaned. And she's like, oh, a trailer is a safe place to be. So, you know, if you start them early, start them young and get them used to it with mama, um, you'll have a lot more success later on. Because uh, what I really talk about is, you know, if you can load them like this, can you load them like this? Yeah. Uh, that. That's what I look at from the disaster perspective. And maybe that's worst case scenario, but there's a lot of pictures of people loading horses with hurricanes and, and wildfires coming in the smoke, in the dark, you know, all those kinds of situations. Will your horse load no matter what? That's what I really want him to do is get on no, no matter what. This is the example of, you know, a horse in a totally inappropriate trailer. And he's the world's best saint because he went in there and I wouldn't want to go in there, but he doesn't have enough room to balance himself. It's awful. These horses don't have enough room to balance. Oh my God. <laughs> I raise cane and this is actually a law enforcement department. It's a mounted unit and they should know better. But they didn't know any better. And the horse is willing to go in there and he's done it a million times, but there's no way that that's a big enough trailer for these horses. No. <laughs> anyway, so what causes the kinds of things that you as horse owners need to think about is what are we going to see if our horse is in any kind of an incident. And this does not mean that it, there was a trailer overturn or that you hit the trailer, the trailer brakes too hard. Horses get their heads in the most dumb places. They will find, if there's a little tiny place where there's some metal that's sharp, they will scritchy scratch their head on it or do whatever they do, and they will end up with these kinds of injuries. I will tell you as a horse owner that when your horse comes out with one of these injuries, 
he will be bleeding like a stuck pig. It's awful because their face has a lot of blood supply and it'll bleed really bad. On and the it other swells hand, really bad. Yeah, they swell really bad. But if you get them to a vet and get them cleaned up and stitched up, um, this is one of those injuries that you're going to be like, yay, I'm glad this was in, uh, the injury you got because it will heal very quickly. Facial injuries tend to heal really quickly. Yeah. But certainly you should have a way to uh, blot that um, and be able to provide first aid, something uh, that you should really talk about to your veterinarian. You know, hey, what happens if my horse gets some lacerations on his legs or in his face while he's in a horse trailer? What can I do for first aid? That's something you really need to ask your veterinarian. Uh, we talked about getting them out. Okay, we talked about getting them in. You got to think about getting them out too. These are awful situations where either there's two things that typically cause this the driver is smoking and they flick the cigarette butt. You will always hear them say, some other driver must have dropped the cigarette butt. Mm -mm. Uh, there's a guy at Mississippi State University that actually put trailers in wind tunnels and looked at the airflow around them. I would love to have my own personal wind, wind tunnel, but anyway. And what he found was that if you flick a cigarette butt out, it can go around and get into the trailer because it sucks around the back of the trailer. And then, of course, it drops onto the hay shavings or whatever you've got in the trailer, and it smolders for a long time before you actually have an incipient flame, which is the, the concern that we have. So um, just don't smoke while you're driving. Uh, number one, don't flick out your cigarette butts because you shouldn't be doing that anyway. And number two, the other situation that causes this is a bearing that gets hot. In the case on the right with the big dually, that was you can see the bearing. Um, it was the one on the truck that got hot in this case, but often it's the trailer bearing um, that causes that problem. And in the dark and the wet, you'll never see it until it's too late. And this is just one example. So, all right. So we talked in the last presentation about how often do you deal with drown down horses? Very few people ever deal with these kinds of things. Um, how often do you deal with them down in a trailer? And that's what we're really looking at is, you know, down in a trailer is a whole different thing than down in the stall or uh, down in any other situation. Um, this gal managed to get her horse out. I'm not sure she really understood what was going to happen. If it was my horse, he would have taken off right about now and been two miles down the road. They managed to get these horses out. Um, worst case scenario, you are on the side of the road. It's a very dangerous place to be. Your animals are injured. How are you going to find another trailer to get to that location to transport them? Hopefully, you're taking them straight to the vet. In any, in any of these situations, these horses really need to go see a veterinarian. There's all kinds of things that could happen for internal injuries um, from this kind of thing. So anyway, doesn't happen very often. And then this is the overview of what a trailer wreck actually looks like. Um, you know, you're on the side of the road. Now you've got to find alternative transport. You call the fire department. They're there. They're trying to cut into your trailer. Your horse is inside. It's absolutely terrified. I don't know if you can see his head. His head is actually hanging out the front of that green. And oh, blue yeah. Trailer. You could probably put your pointer on that. I think. Um, I don't know. Do I have a pointer? Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the point of this is you can't imagine how awful these kinds of situations are. Call 911 and call a veterinarian to get to that scene and help you. There's no way the average horse owner has the, the, the facilities or the tools or the, or the umph to be able to deal with these kinds of things and also the, the safety problems on the side of the road. You can't, you so can't do even, you figure even know what kind of trail, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay. the two 
the two on the left, the, the one where it's up on its ass and the one that's up on its nose, there's only one explanation for how these happen. It was not hitched correctly in the first place. Yeah. In the first one, what happens is the hitch was not correctly on the ball or the hitch failed. And what happens is you put on brakes and the whole thing starts to stop. The horses do the opposite. They throw their weight to try to stand up. And when they do, it makes the trailer hit, hit on its ass and it slides down the road on its ass. You'd be amazed how many trailers have actually done that. The, the one in the middle, what happens is the trailer becomes unhitched like that and then pops off of the trailer, off the truck, okay? And then it slides down the, the thing either on its ass or tumbling or whatever it does. Eventually it hits the dirt. When it hits the dirt, the nose causes the back of the trailer to actually flip. And then I really can't explain the other one other than it's a three horse trailer. It's actually behind a big dually and it's a single yeah. vehicle accident. I don't know what the, the other situation was for that, but I have never seen a dually and a three horse trailer in a triangle stabilization except for this one. Usually there's a tree holding it or something else holding it. And the only thing that's holding it is the truck. And I can't really explain that otherwise. So yeah. all the things we've got to do when we look at these trailers is try to prevent horses from going through the windows. You can use screens, you can use uh, the, the metal uh, dividers, um, but really there's not much reason for you opening a, tra a trailer door with a trailer window with a horse in there because horses do what horses do. And sometimes they decide they're gonna leave. And I love the look on this lady's face with the Appaloosa. She's looking at the veterinarian and the veterinarian's like, oh crap, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And if you look in the back of the picture right here, you'll see the firefighters are walking up with some extrication gear and they're thinking, what the hell, what are we gonna do? You know, how are we gonna solve this? So the easiest prevention is keep them from going through the window in the first place. Um, by keeping those those uh, screens on or, or whatever. The problem for horse trailers is they're really bad places for ventilation. I always encourage people to increase the number of ramjets up on top of the trailer. You may actually have to have more put in um, that direct the air on, down onto the horses, but um, it's already bad enough ventilation when they're moving. If you stop in traffic, your horses are standing back there. You know, Virginia's like Georgia in the summer, 95 degrees, the sun is beating down on your trailer and now you're stuck in traffic for half, or those horses are standing there just sweating. So um, consider having a fan, having some other way of moving the air, uh, particularly if you're stuck in traffic. You can hitch it onto your electrical system for your truck. That's not my bailiwick. I have the husband for that, but I'm sure you guys have husbands and wives that are, that are good at that, but encourage them to get in there and, and get you a nice plastic fan that if the horse sticks his nose in it, it's not gonna kill him, but at the same time will provide some ventilation. Other things we got to do is provide a way to prevent the horse from going over the chest bar. Wendy, this is one of our biggest problems in two horse trailers is they have those um, chest bars or a tack room or something in front. The horse gets scared. The horse tries to go forward towards the light and it puts its feet over into the manger or down into the tack room or over the chest bar. And now he's got his weight sitting on the bar. So, how are you going to get in there and cut that bar? Even if you call 911, how are they going to do that? They're going to be right next to that horse's back legs and take the chance on getting kicked. So you got to have a vet to be able to anesthetize the horse or sedate it severely so that you can make your cuts 
Um, we've been trying to get the horse trailer manufacturing guys for many years to make some improvements on this where you have a frangible pin or something. Just like in eventing, they have a frangible pin for the whole weight of a horse going on it. Same way here. How can we do that so that we can release the horse so he can stand up and we can get him out with a little less work? Um, you got to make sure that your trailer has a place that the horse can't put his foot into. The horse reared in this case. He was being loaded. He put his foot between the trailer and the door. That's always a bad situation, whether it's a round pin or a trailer. Uh, you always want to make places where the animal can't get his leg trapped. Um, you can imagine even if a trailer goes over on the side and he tries to stand up in these kinds of places, there's no perfect way to solve the problem, but you want to minimize those at, as much as possible. Uh, preventing horses going through the floor. Okay, Brinderup does not like me because I've been bitching at them for many, many years. Um, my ex-husband had a Brinderup and he sold it when he realized what, a, what an awful thing it was. Many of these European trailers are just a nightmare. This is an actual two pictures from Brinderup trailers that had horses go through the floor. And if you look at the wood, Wendy, what kind of wood does that look like? It looks like plywood. It's plywood. So what they do is they have a rubber membrane that fits on top of that. And the rubber membrane is supposed to minimize the ability of water or pee or manure or whatever to get to the wood. Well, guess what? If you're wearing steel shoes, it doesn't take long before your steel shoes wear that membrane out and then you have uh, little micro cracks and the urine and the manure and stuff, which is in this case right next to the ramp. That's where the horses urinate. Goes down through there and it weakens the wood and then you're standing there and you're driving down the road and your horse goes to the floor. And I don't need to show you what the horse no. is going to look like. No. You know, it's awful. Absolutely awful. So... <laughs> That's, a, that's a, another kind of trailer. But the point is, do the maintenance on your floors. That is the most, um, that is the one that I, I don't know what I would do to myself if my horses went through the floor. That is one of those things that's just absolutely awful to deal with. Okay, uh, we already mentioned this a little bit. Do a training program. If you've got a kid that, or a teenager or uh, a person who's driving your horses for you, do a training program. Uh, talk to somebody with a CDL. Uh, learn about how to properly hitch, how you should drive through a cone course, how you back up. I mean, Wendy, how many times have you been to a horse show and people say, oh, I can't back in that spot? And I go, what? You know, the simplest thing to do is take your car and every single time you go to Publix, you back into a space. And once you start backing into space using your mirrors in your car, then you get in your truck and you practice out in a big parking lot or the pasture and it won't take long before you're really good with your truck and trailer. And you should be really good with your truck and trailer because you never know when you're going to get in a tight spot. So driver's training problem program. Uh, what causes accidents and incidents? Uh, I know I've only got a couple more minutes, but it's okay. um, the kinds of things that we see is, you know, this one blew a tire on the drive tire of the truck. And so the entire truck and the trailer left the roadway. Um, this is about 10 years ago now, but you can imagine what happens to those horses. They're no longer standing. Now they're cattywampus all up against each other and the, the, the gates have fallen. And even if you open the back doors, how, how are you going to get to the rest of the horses? It's, it's really a difficult situation. Call 911. This is not something that you're going to solve. Mm -hmm. That's a bunch of horse people trying to solve it but that's not something that horse people are going to solve. You're going to need some fire department. You're going to need law enforcement um, to help you with those kind of things. So what I do, Wendy, is I take a look at these kinds of things 
and I, I look at what is reported in the article in the newspaper or Facebook or whatever. And this guy said um, that, you know, something about that there was uh, something that happened in the back of the trailer, the horses moved around. And I said, that's bull crap. It's on a curve. You were driving too fast for conditions. It looks like it's a little wet and slimy there. And you probably got too small a truck. And guess what? You flipped your trailer. Just be honest about it. What actually happened? You flipped your truck and trailer. Fortunately, this looks like it was pretty slow um, speed. They were able to get another truck and trailer there to be able to pick up the horses. Um, and I'm, I'm betting you could probably pull that trailer back over and it'll be perfectly fine to, to use in the future, even with a few scratches on the side. But there's a whole bunch of things you guys got to get smart about. Trailer hitches. You got to replace your trailer hitch just for a thumbnail, replace it every 10 years. If you haul a lot, replace it every five years, okay? Uh, welds can break. Over time, they rust. This was a really old um, hitch, and it uh, went. The problem for a lot of people is you go to Tractor Supply or Rural King or wherever you go to get your hitches, and you, you sit there and you look, and there's a 12,000-pound ball that uh, has a 12,000-pound working load limit, 12,000-pound, and, and it's 49.99. dollars and then you look at another one that looks exactly the same, and it's only $19.99, and what do you think people are going to do? They buy the $19.99 one. So you really need to match the, the weight limit, the tongue weight, all those kind of things to your truck and trailer, and that means you need to find somebody that actually knows what they're talking about or download that free resource from Purdue and get smarter about how you hitch your truck and trailer. Last thing I wanna show is just a couple examples, okay? This is some trucks and trailers that I went and took a look at and I made some suggestions. This had a fifth wheel. There's a lot of rust in this thing. The whole game to trucks and trailers is keeping the truck and the trailer connected and then bringing it to a stop in an incident, okay? Otherwise, all kinds of awful things happen. The trailer goes forward and crushes the cab with the people in it all kinds of things, okay? Uh, take a look at your ball, but also take a look at the coupler. So the one on the left is the one that I was looking at. And I hope you can see there's a lot of rust up in there. Um, it looks like a, a lot of corrosion. The one on the right is my trailer. I've had it since 1999. It's a gooseneck trailer. It's got about 100,000 miles hauled on it. It's regularly taken care of. There's no rust up in there. There is a little bit of wear at the very top of the coupler, but that's normal and minimal rust. So you can keep something for 100,000 miles in 20 years and still be perfectly um, acceptable if you're doing your maintenance. Uh, I think everybody should know that this is absolutely unserviceable. This was on another truck that I was looking at. The lock pin and the cotter pin are completely rusted. I don't think you'd actually be able to hitch something to this one because you wouldn't be able to get the cotter pin out but it should be pretty obvious. This is in, a, in Canada and there's a whole bunch of, of um, salt on the roads. And of course it's caused a lot of corrosion, but that's absolutely unserviceable. Uh, this is an area where a lot of people have problems and that is the worm gears or the raising and lowering portion of your legs on your hitch. Um, there's little zerk fittings. You need to be able to lubricate those regularly. If you do, you'll keep that working for many, many years. It, it just needs some lubrication. And especially if it's exposed to salt and uh, changes in weather, or if you live where there's a lot of corrosion um, on, from the road surface and those kinds of things. Um, you can replace these, it's not cheap, 
if you're gonna replace it, you might as well spend the money and get one of those little man, instead of the manual one, you get the little one where you go, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I am. <laughs> when I hit 50 something, I was like, I'm getting one yep. of those. No, I'm not cranking anymore. Mm -mm. <laughs> this is one, I, you guys are gonna crawl around your trailers and you guys are more than welcome to send me pictures and I will tell you, you know, Rebecca's opinion, if it's dumb or not, okay? I, I'm perfectly willing to tell you, just don't get your heart hurt too, too bad. This is one example of a trailer I went and looked at and the chains um, were actually, this is supposed to stop the entire gooseneck trailer from going into the cab and killing you, okay? Um, and all they had was a little bolt through the chain. And I was like, well, is that gonna hold if, if that actually happens? And I don't know, but I can tell you when I showed it to some engineers, they were like, mm -mm, that ain't gonna work, okay? Um, this one on the left, this is a nice trailer. It's on a fifth wheel hitch. It's got rated chains. Everything's lubricated. It's set at the correct he height for the trailer. The emergency brake is attached to another little spot with that little D-ring. Everything's done right, okay? And when I looked, the battery was charging in there so you can actually have the emergency uh, pins break. The picture on the right is an example that I actually stole from another guy's website. Um, he actually did it. He engaged the chains and engaged the little red squiggly thing as your safety cable and set his gooseneck down in the bed of the truck. And his point is if everything comes unhitched, the chains should catch the coupler and keep it from leaving the bed of the vehicle. If those break also and the truck continues to move forward and the trailer continues to move backwards, that's when you would engage your little red safety cable. So that's what it should look like if you have the appropriate chains and you, um, for some reason, failed to hit your truck correctly. So uh, can, I, can you go back to that picture for a minute? Because yep. I just want to ask you a question. Yep. So at this point, the chains are fully engaged, but the red squiggly thing isn't. Correct. But if the chains at that point fail, that's when you bring the emergency um, cable into it. That's when you should lock down your brakes. Okay. Connect, technically, your brakes, the electrical is still connected. That hasn't broken loose yet. As soon as the trailer moves away from the truck, the, the electrical is going to pull out. But the emergency uh, electrical should turn on your brakes. Oh, I see. I see. Because it's still, it's still got the cable to the truck bed. You still have yeah. power to your brakes. So your truck can still control your brakes on your Correct. trailer. And if you have a good brake controller and you've matched that brake controller to your brakes in your truck and trailer, which you're supposed to do every time you do leave the driveway, I get to the bottom of my driveway and that's where I move along at five to 10 miles an hour, depending upon the manufacturers. If you look at your brake controller, it'll tell you exactly how to do it. You got to have it at a certain angle. You got to go a certain speed depending on the manufacturer's instructions. And as you go down the driveway, you barely touch your controller and you see how much brake you have and when it engages the brakes is on your trailer. Um, again, this is so complicated, Wendy, and that's where we get ourselves in trouble with these trailers. Well, and I was gonna say, and that in itself is an entire webinar in terms of how to set trailer brakes because my biggest problem is I don't have a flat spot. So right. you're supposed to be on a flat spot to set your trailer brake, and if you don't have a flat spot, how do you set your trailer brake? And this that's is exactly right. you know, like when you say leave the driveway, there's no way I can leave my property and be on a flat spot. It's that's just right. 
not possible. And then if your knee bumps the controller, for a lot of the controllers, it's got a gravitational aspect to it, and it will change the way the brakes engage. And there's nothing worse than barely touching your brakes and having everything locked down. That's terrifying for you, and I guarantee you it's no fun for the horses. No. So you're exactly right. That's an entire number, another webinar just there on how to properly do that. But every manufacturer is different. Uh, suffice to say that if you guys don't have any idea what I'm talking about, about the controller in your truck, or you don't have one, you need to go take a look at your controller or get one put in your truck. And Every single trailer should have that, a, a that and backing up are the two biggest mysteries of driving a trip, in my opinion. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Although so I can back, but this is some examples of cheap chains. Um, those are all, not much better than dog chains that are on a big gooseneck trailer. Um, and then the the safety cable has a bend in it, makes a weak point, which means it won't do its job. I mean, zillions of different things. And we have some checklists in that Purdue publication on these kinds of things. Uh, I wanna show you some good ones, okay? okay? The one on the left is the battery is charging correctly. I love it that all of a sudden, of course, the, the trailer industry has come up with these uh, idiot lights, which I'm an idiot, so I need them. Um, it only lasts about five years. You've got to have your battery replaced about every five years, but it actually charges while it's attached to the electrical system. And I like that because it tells you, hey, I'm charging or I'm getting ready to fail. You need to replace my battery, those kinds of things. Um, the one on the right is just another example of a crappy way of attaching nice chains in this case, but inappropriately attached to the trailer. Um, are they, are they, were they actually attached or just looped over? They're just looped over with a little crappy washer that's attached to it. it it's yeah, that's never going to stay in there under catastrophic conditions. It's just so wrong. I don't even know how to explain how wrong it is. I'm yeah. not an engineer, but when I talk to engineers about these things, that's who I go talk to is SAE engineers. And they like, hmm. And I go, <laughs> that's not good, is it? Hmm. <laughs> So lastly, what I'm going to say is there's no crash testing done in the United States, in in Australia, in any other country. There's actually a, a company over in Australia I've been talking to recently doing a little bit of crash testing, uh, not for the whole trailer, but for the bulkhead and some other things. And we're really looking at trying to get better at this. But I will tell you that when you look at trailer wrecks, and I've got thousands of them in a database, and you start to see some themes, which is just like humans, if the horse gets ejected from the trailer, it's gonna die under many conditions. That's not always true, but many times it will die. So you need to keep it inside the trailer. And the only way you can keep it inside the trailer is if you have a sufficiently built bulkhead and all the stuff inside that trailer that's been manufactured um, is correctly put together. This is a ridiculously cheap trailer, two horses inside of it, it went off road, the entire thing just did a, a come apart, and of course the horses died in that situation. It's just awful. So we do the crash testing by looking at these actual crashes. And you'll notice this one came loose from the truck. Here you go. That is on the right-hand side right here. This is the nose of that gooseneck trailer. It's still technically attached by cables, so the cables did their job, but the coupler is not on the ball, so there must have been some problem with the hitching portion, and it came loose, and there's no connection from the truck and the trailer because this whole thing came loose, which means either the, the welds failed or the, the bolts came loose or whatever happened, and there's really no excuse for that. 
So that's where we get our cash, crash testing. Um, and of course the horses pay the price with their bodies. Um, I will also send this to you. This is a paper that um, Dr. Sharon Krieger and I worked on uh, for Canada. We were trying to sort of shame the manufacturers into looking at some standards for how we ought to do this for both the engineers, uh, the people that are building these trailers, um, and then of course also trying to educate horse owners about how you could look at a trailer and say, hey, that's a better choice than this one for the same price. Because um, dumping more money into it is just not the solution. Um, just a few more slides, Wendy, and then I promise I'll quit. And if you want me to quit, I will quit. But no, you know. it's okay. I mean, it's really important for people to realize just what we're doing when we're putting a horse in a metal box. You know? right. This is a fancy trailer. This is a uh, a very fancy trailer. This one went viral on the internet. The lady was like, you know, I wish people would be more careful about things. And I go, well, yeah, but that truck slammed into that trailer at a relatively low speed. And it killed that horse in that back section of the trailer because he got hit so hard and then he flipped over forward onto another horse and then the horse got, the other horse got injured and the fire department actually had to take this trailer apart. And yes, they were in a foggy condition and all those things, but there was no reflective on the back of that trailer. And, you know, these kind of things happen. But to me and talking to engineers, there's no excuse for the back of a trailer being that easy to crush. Easy to crush. It's not that easy, I suppose. But the engineers are like, man, they should have better bulkhead on the back of that thing because there's no excuse for that kind of thing. And that's where we're getting into. So there's your crash testing right there. That's the situation. I took the dead horse pictures out of it. But you can tell that that really was not that fast of a, a collision. And it ended up killing that horse in the back of that trailer. So that's a fancy trailer. Platinum trailers ain't cheap. Um, but we still have a, a loss here. So what are we doing wrong when we build these trailers that they're coming apart this easy? That's the picture of the horse. You know, here's the, you know, this is not the fancy version. This one actually did sort of the right thing. The nose of that trailer right here, if you look at it, that is the crumple zone. You know, we talk about crumple zones in cars. They're usually in the front. That's the crumple zone for the trailer. It actually, that's a steel trailer, and it actually did what it's supposed to do. As the, the trailer got hit from the back, the nose of that trailer crumpled and took the horse. And you can see that there's a horse in the back of that trailer. And he survived this incident, and it was a much faster um, slam. Uh, you can see why. There's no reflective on the back of that freaking trailer, and the, the, even the lights like crap. But anyway, the horse actually survived it. Now, Wendy, there you go. There's moving down the road with the horse and all my, my gear. But anyway, um, this trailer actually took it. It's a piece of crap trailer in other ways, but it took the force, and the horse didn't die. So what's best? You know, and that's where my frustration is. I'm not an engineer, but I can look at these things and say, hey, you know, this is a much better trailer to put my horse in if I'm going to get hit from behind, you know, but how can we do that? Anyway, I'll stop there. Um, I hope you guys got something out of this. I will send those resources to you, Wendy. You can post them up on your um, uh, Facebook page and, and the website and stuff. But, you know, you guys got to get smart about trailers. It's on you. It's not the guy that's selling you that trailer will sell you whatever. He'll, if, he'll hit, let you hitch it to a bicycle. Um, you can pull it, you just can't stop it. And uh, we really got to take, as an industry, we got to take this more seriously about the effects of, of ha having our horse that is trusting us enough to go in that trailer to know that he's in a safer spot. How do we do that and make it a safer place? We've done all this great engineering and testing for, for crashes for 
cars and trucks and all these things, but we don't do it with trailers. And I don't care about a boat, but I do care about horses. And I, I um, am very, very concerned about what we've let the industry sort of drive us down the road of um, distracting us with, wow, look at the pretty living quarters. And, you know, I, I, I was telling you last time I went to Australia and the guy's got this big plexiglass window in the front of a two horse trailer. And I was like, what the hell's that for? And he goes, well, the horses like to look out too. And I said, they're not going, hey, Frank, they're going to stop up here at the stop sign. You know, I mean, we want to keep them in the trailer. And yes, it's nice to have some light in the trailer because it makes it easier to load the horse and all those things. But from the perspective of having a wreck, you got to balance those two things. So I'm not, you know, I, ahead, I, I just ask these really tough here. questions. <laughs> yeah, unshare your screen. Um, okay. So, you know, and one of the things I noticed here too is the difference is this looks like a steel trailer and the other was an aluminum trailer, but all of our trailers now are pretty much moving to aluminum because of the weight and the lack of rust. That's right. But yep. the steel, I mean, I used to drive a steel stock horse, not dissimilar to that one, which weighed a ton. Um, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, and now I have an aluminum. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's really great to have you talk about this because when I, I, I've hauled us to Seattle twice and back and I did the first one all by myself. And the second one I drove out with somebody and came home alone because he went to vet school. And I'll tell you the, the, my horse used to always walk up to the trail and go, is this a long trip or a short trip? Mm -hmm. <laughs> After that, you know, he really would definitely mm -hmm. stop me. Just look at me and ask me, what is this going to be this time? But you know, when I, when I did that haul, I had, I had a, a jack, I had a toolkit. I mean, I, I, you know, that Murphy's Law thing. I had my kit that went in my trailer, my emergency. I, and you haven't talked about this. I had a first aid kit. Mm -hmm. I had, yep. um, you know, boots. And maybe we can talk about that in another lecture. What should people have in their first aid kits? Um, Absolutely. Normally what I do is I tell them you should talk to your veterinarian because I don't know what your level of training is. You know, every horse person is different. My veterinarian may recommend some things, including even some drugs, um, because I'm a vet tech and I have a little higher level. But for some people, they don't want to do that because it might have um, repercussions. No, basic bandages, you know. And oh, how okay, to, okay, okay. That kind of thing. <laughs> I, I mean, see what I, you're I, saying. Literally, yeah. I had all my time, and I still have, because I stopped going that hauling those distances a number of years ago um but i still have my tubs that are all labeled you know right. with with just basic first aid kit um and uh but you know it's so interesting to see like these trailers that are sold to us as quality trailers and um and the, again the onus is on us the onus is on us to ask the right questions but if you don't know the questions to ask you don't know the questions to ask what I will do is I have a, a short little video that I did for another um, thing where I actually walked through somebody's trailer and they videotaped it and I'll send that to you as well. And it's, it's about 15 minutes long, but I literally walked through this gooseneck trailer and point out some of the kinds of things that I was looking at. Uh, if you guys send me pictures or send them to you and put them on your Facebook, uh, on, on the link or whatever, I will take a look at those pictures and I will, you know, don't get your heart hurt, but I will tell you if I think it's a, a safe thing or if it's not. Uh, I guess the best way to impress upon you guys how poor we are in the horse industry, uh, I took one of my veterinary students that was working with me, and we went to a local show here in Perry, Georgia. We looked at 65 trailers, and we had a checklist that we went through every single, all we did is look at the hitch. We didn't look at tires. We didn't look at nothing else, just the hitch. 
and our checklist, and out of 65 trailers, we had zero trailers that was correctly hitched. Every single one of them had some problem. The electrical wasn't hitched right. Usually it's the safety cable that's not hitched right. The battery wasn't uh, uh, charged or didn't have a battery. Uh, the chains were inappropriate chains for the weight of the trailer. Uh, the pins weren't in. We had some that we left little sticky notes on their thing and said, please do not drive the trailer with your horse in it until you fix this. Because I was like, oh my God, these people are going to leave this show with their horse in this trailer. They got it here somehow. And now I know that we're going to have a problem. And nobody ever called me. I left my phone number. Nobody ever called me and said, hey, butthead, why do you leave a sticky note on my trailer? But um, it's amazing to me how much we just don't know in our horse industry. We got to get smarter. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, can, uh, I have a request. Okay. Can you have someone make a video of you hooking a gooseneck trailer and sure. a bumper pull trailer so that we have video of correct hitching? Yes, I will do so. My poor husband. Hang on, let me write. It's this okay. Down. I know this. <laughs> yes, I will. I will do that. And um, and what we can do is when we do that other webinar where we talk about setting brakes, because you know I, I know personally, like I hate the damn brake controller because. Mm -hmm. Um, because I could never figure out which button, exactly. which side and how to adjust it. And of course it didn't have a flat spot. So now I have a F-350 that has an internal brake controller and now I have to figure out that one. Good. Good. Um, and yes, I will do that. And what we'll do is setting brakes in general and then people will still have to take a look at their manufacturer's instructions because every brake controller is a little bit different. Absolutely. But, how many different kinds of brake controllers are there? Um, I'm, I'm, I would say three or four, but I, I bet you if I start looking, there's probably some more. There's, there's several more, brands that are really popular that yeah. most people use. Yep. No, that would be awesome. And um, I, I did have a question prior to this uh, webinar. Somebody was asking if it's better to leave your horse tied or untied in a trailer. Okay. So that is the question of the day. It, a lot of it depends on what kind of trailer you have and I'll just give you some examples. So my two horse trailer is a forward face two horse trailer. And I always tie my horses, which are very good about being in trailers and probably don't need to be tied, but I always tie them because I do not want them to be able to turn around in that big space under duress and be able to point out the back. Number one, number two, I don't want them to be able to raise their head and lean over and bite their buddy that they love very much under normal conditions, but they're under a little bit of stress and transport. They bite their buddy their buddy starts to panic inside the trailer and starts jumping around and gets hurt. If I'm loading my horses for a short trip um, in my big four horse slant load trailer, uh, everybody can be free because I have enough room, the dividers go low enough that I can put their hay on the ground. That's what the veterinarians would prefer, that your horse be able to lower his head, eat and drink normally um, in transport. The problem is I've got one horse who's a noodle and has the flexibility of a zebra, I mean a, a giraffe, and he can lean over and bite somebody. He has to be tied. And then, of course, I have Angel, who is the queen bee, and she bites everybody. So she has to go in the first stall so she can't lean around and grab somebody. Um, so it really depends. Uh, the veterinarians would love for you to be able to put your, let your horse's head be at a normal height, which means if you've got him tied, that you've got a little longer of a tie, but then of course some horses put their foot up or they do whatever, get their foot hung, 
And that's when you should have that breakable system. It's really a difficult calculus depending upon the horse. It depends on their level of training. How much are they going to panic if they actually do put their foot over um, the, the lead rope? Um, all those things are very difficult. Yeah, I think it is a case-by-case -case basis. And when I hauled to, um, uh, to Washington State, it's 3,000 miles, um, as you know, um, I had them loose. I just yep, turned them loose. Too. I took out all the, it was, I had a slant load. I took out all the petitions. They were loose. Every time I stopped, they were facing backwards. Um, yep. The one thing I did learn is that when I stopped to give them their nose bags for dinner, uh, I took the mayors off because she was done. And I went to check out where the diesel, because I needed the small nozzle diesel at the time on the truck that was a dually that they didn't put with a big nozzle diesel, right? Anyway, when I came back, she had bitten the other horse trying to get to his nose bag. So never take off one nose bag if you're feeding them in the trailer. That was my lesson. <laughs> um, First rule, horses are buttheads. They yeah. just are. Yep. And, it, you know, I felt so bad for him because he had no, no defense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's how we, we learn. And, and it wasn't the worst thing in the world. And, you know, we all survived it. But, um, you know, it's it, so much, it, from my experience, depends on, you know, how long you're trailering. That's another question, you know, and, and that's a whole nother discussion of, you know, whether you stop, whether you drive through, everybody got different ideas on that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I usually stop and my horses have been hauled enough that I usually stop at the Starbucks and get my horse out in the Starbucks parking lot and then everybody comes and pets the horses <laughs> and I let them graze on the grass and, and they sort of walk around and do those kind of things. But it's only because my horses have spent so much time on trailers going various places and I know those suckers are going back on the trailer. Um, but for a lot of people, they can't do those things or they don't, you know, I mean, I've managed to to get away with some of the things that other people might not, and I'm only hauling two horses normally. So, well, sometimes a llama, but um, <laughs> not you know. with the horse, I hope. Oh yeah, if you oh. get out with two horses and a llama on ropes, I promise you, everybody in the parking lot will come see you. They they all gotta come see that. They're, what the hell is that? Is that a camel? No, it's a llama. <laughs> but, but I think one of the things I'm hearing from you, and 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 this is. Um, that regularly transporting our horses to short trips and things that are fun and different environments so that they get used to getting on and getting off is actually a really good thing. It is. And, you know, in, in the COVID, I think a lot of people have learned that, uh, you know, there's some things we cannot do like we used to do. And so take advantage of that. Take them to a park and get them out. Let them eat. Make it fun. Maybe you don't even ride. Um, you know, I, I do that with a lot of my horses. I go places and I've got our, the trailer hitched already. So I just take the horses with me and I get there and used to be, I'd let the kids pet them and stuff with COVID. I've been a little bit goofy about that, but uh, you'd be amazed just like the cat. You'd be amazed how much of a better hauler it makes it, you know, tornado. Like I said, he will go in anybody's trailer because over the years he's learned that there's always food in there. People leave treats and alfalfa hay, which I never give him. He's like, <laughs> Oh my God, there's alfalfa in there. I can smell it from 40 yards away. So Whatever works to motivate your horse, um, but the more calm you have them about that, it's better for disaster preparedness, it's better for uh, evacuation purposes. God forbid that you end up having to get your horses out of a situation. They end up spending 24 hours or 36 hours on a trailer because you can't unload them because you're under catastrophic conditions. Who knows? Um, but I promise you, if your horse is used to it and you can just feed him on that trailer and he can stand there and be like, okay, whatever, you're going to have a mess to clean up at the other end, but at least he's going to survive it. So I, I always think with a disaster mindset, I know, but uh, I want my horses to be able to survive whatever we throw at them and be as calm as possible because uh, that's how we build success.
Absolutely. And um, an inspection, you know, we haven't talked about having your trailer inspected. Not every state requires an inspection. Um, Virginia, Only if you do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's worth taking the time to just have somebody who knows trailers and not just anybody. I mean, taking some who knows trailers and have your trailer inspected if you don't know what to look for. Um, you know, that's just if you don't know how to do it, find somebody who's capable and qualified to yep. make sure that you get it. And there's very few people are out there. We've done some things over the years, like a trailer driving rodeo. We did one with a U.S. Rider um, many years ago. We set up uh, an entire course of cones. We had a competition. We had everybody bring their own trailers. We had one demonstration of how to load and unload difficult horses. We had an overturned trailer so people could actually look at the floor of an actual trailer. Um, we had people... Um, the, we paid a guy to come look at people's trailers and for safety concerns. And of course he was handing out his card. So he's not dumb. He knows they're going to show up at his place to get it fixed. Um, and then what we would do is they had to hitch their trailer, drive through the cone course, come back and unhitch. And that was start and stop. And it, it was really an eye opening experience for people because it was a great time to, to learn that maybe they didn't know as much about driving their truck and trailer as they thought. Um, but it also, you know, it was a, it was, you, you paid 10 bucks and there was this huge uh, uh, awards that we had for whoever won the, the divisions, but it was a lot of fun and people learned a lot and we just made it fun and we did it through our pony club. So um, it can be done. It's just one of those things where organizations need to think about, hey, how can we do something to support our horse community? People just don't know any better. And sometimes when it's a shitty day and you can't go riding anyway, why don't you just bring your trailers and have somebody that knows what they're doing take a look at those trailers, uh, just like me and my student did. We looked at those trailers that day, and I mean, we just left the checklist with these people. We were like, this needs to be fixed. This needs to be fixed. This needs to be fixed. Hoping that maybe that they would do something. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm more than willing to help anybody that reaches out to me. Okay. How can they find you? Uh, they can look me up, uh, Rebecca Jimenez Houston, H-U-S-T-E-D. If you do a Google, you'll find me. <laughs> yeah, and you're on Facebook. Text me, call me, Facebook me, PM me, whatever. <laughs> awesome. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to educate us on trailer safety. I just think it's such an important topic. And do do those videos, and we'll come back, and we'll talk about the brakes and how to hit. And just have a good video on how to hit your trailer safely. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. It's not everybody that gives me homework. <laughs> Thank you, Wendy. All right, take care. And thank you everybody for joining us. And just remember, you can find this on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. Tell your all, all your friends that have a horse trailer to watch this webinar. It is required information. Thank you so much and have, have a great day. Bye. Thank you.